Hello and welcome to How's This Not a Movie Yet, the podcast that searches through history and finds fun and interesting facts and talks about how they could re- make really cool movies. I'm your host, Tom Courtney, and I'm joined by Alex Courtney. How you doing, Alex? Rather well. How about yourself? Pretty good. I'm excited about today because we get to do yet another history versus movie. All right, so today uh, we are going to be talking about Public Enemies, which is a 2009 film directed by Michael Mann, starring Johnny Depp and Christian Bale, and it depicts the life of John Dillinger, one of the most notorious bank robbers of all time. I'm glad we picked this movie. It's a very good movie. Michael Mann is an excellent director, and it his uh, filming in this was really, really intense. I really, I really like John Dillinger. He's a, a very influential person in the 1930s because it gave the people a little bit to a a little more insight into how a criminal works. You know, it's fun to study about John Dillinger because when you said he was influential, so many movies were based on his life and the way that he robbed banks. When we think of a 1930s bank robber, we think of John Dillinger. Even though there were hundreds of bank robbers, they all uh, they all copied his style of bank robbery. Uh, even though he actually copied his style from a guy named Lamb, right? Huh. Yes. By, uh, by a man named Lamb. Yeah, uh, Herman Lamb. He was uh, the father of the modern-day bank robber, where he used military tactics and uh, different ways of, like, casing banks and whatnot. And then he taught the rest essentially teaching Dillinger. Right. Uh, they Every single bank robbery that you see on film today copies Herman Lamb's style, which has a lookout outside, a lobby man, a vault man, and a spot man who keeps track of the uh, people that are in the bank. So his ideal number were four people, five if you can get a wheel man. And using these tactics, the bank robbers of the 1930s were able to rob hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars from the U.S. banks in the United States. And one of these men that learned from him was John Dillinger. Yes. John Dillinger is influential in another way as well. His success as a bank robber and his success at crossing state lines and foiling police officers by utilizing their jurisdiction codes, he was able to escape uh, arrest several times. And this caused the uh, a man named J. Edgar Hoover to form the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Now, the Bureau of Investigation existed before this, but it didn't have a federal arrest statute until John Dillinger started crossing state lines and using this jurisdiction code against the police officers. Yeah, it was uh, a brilliant way of avoiding prison. Right. <laughs> and also, they couldn't keep him in prison. Now, he went to now uh, John Dillinger went to prison when he was 20 years old and he went to prison for nine and a half years because he robbed $50 from a uh, a store and he saw that as a gross injustice. Uh, he didn't think it was fair. 
So after he got out, he decided just to rob as much money as possible because that's the logical thing to do, not becoming a proper person of society, but really just robbing as much money as you can. Well, he learned how to be a good bank robber in prison. Right. What's the line? I had to go to prison to become a crook? Right, exactly. Yes, exactly. So he had a expert crew along with him. John Dillinger and the Dillinger gang included Babyface Nelson, who was famous in his own right. Red Hamilton. Pete Pierpont. Pete Pierpont. Russell Clark. And Charles Mackley. uh, Among others. And all of these men were on the FBI most wanted list with the number one public enemy being John Dillinger. So for two years, this gang terrorized Midwestern banks. They, They stole... Over a million dollars, and I mean, and a million dollars in 1933 dollars, which is a lot more money than that. <laughs> I <laughs> actually good, have a chunk of change. I actually have an, inf- an inflation calculator on here, and the million dollars that they ended up stealing translate to 18 million dollars in 2017 dollars. Wow, that's a lot of money. Yeah. A- it's a good chunk of change. So even in the movie, when they're complaining about only getting $8,000, that's still $150,000 in today's money, which is... Chump change. It's, it's a Chump good change. amount of change in any case. So these successful bank robbers, they used modern technology, which is the V8s that they had in the Fords, uh, so they had really powerful cars, more powerful than the police cars at the time. They had better weapons like the Thompson machine gun, the Tommy gun, uh, the Browning automatic rifle, which I didn't know was available to civilians. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> These were not normal civilians, my man. <laughs> uh, they also had a uh, a kind of gun called a thirty eight Super, which could pierce pier- uh body armor in ni- in the 1930s which I actually didn't know they had body armor back then all of their all of the uh, police officers wore them yeah I, I didn't know that they had this body armor that, and the super the super 38 uh could pierce their body armor which was I think cruel like you could put down somebody even if they're wearing body armor you could put them down with a tommy gun but these men they were just trying to kill the police officers that were after them especially babyface Nelson oh they just weren't there's some they just weren't good people. No. <laughs> we depict them as good people. We, we depict them as um, Robin Hoods. Yeah. Now, that's not what they were. No. It's one of the popular myths, about, especially about John Dillinger, is that he robbed from the rich and gave to the poor. He was credited with saying the famous line that a lot of uh, um, bank robbers use in movies, which is, we're not stealing your money, we're stealing the bank's money. That was also, uh, it was used in the Newton Boys with Matthew McConaughey and Ethan Hawke. Uh, it was used in uh, by Robert De Niro and Heat. It's used. Uh, uh, it was used in um, Hell or High Water. It's used in all of these bank robbery movies. And they, I, I know that why the the writers put it in is because it creates a separation between the bank and the people that are in the bank. So when a robber walks in with a gun, they say, don't worry, we're not here stealing your money. We're stealing the bank's money and the bank is insured up to a million dollars or whatever it is that you're not losing any any money. So don't try anything. And it makes the viewer go, oh, well, that's that's okay then. And it makes the people in the bank go, all right, well, I'm not going to try and be a hero, even though 
it's still a violent crime of what they're doing. And if they if it comes to it, especially these men, these these this Dillinger gang, they opened up on police constantly. Now, John Dillinger killed one police officer his entire time uh, stealing, uh, robbing from banks. Didn't mean he wasn't shooting no, at them of course constantly. Not. No, of course not. Of course not. And he wasn't intentionally missing. He Probably just a bad <laughs> shot. <laughs> Actually, they said that he was a very good shot, though I also have a feeling that was part of the myth. Yeah. But the, the one that I found out while researching this, Babyface Nelson has the record for most FBI agents killed. That's awful. I know, it's terrible. awful It's a terrible thing to have. It's awful. So, yeah, uh, when I read that, I'm like, oh, so that's who I was rooting for in this movie. Now, in the the movie Public Enemies, you are never rooting for Baby Phyllis Nelson. He is portrayed quite rightly as a psychopath. He was a hot-headed individual. He would shoot his, his Tommy gun in the air, scaring the people around him. He shot a police officer through a pane glass window when the police officer didn't even know there was a robbery going on at one of the robberies. That alerted everybody. And that alerted everybody. So what we are now going to talk about is the movie Public Enemies, which came out in 2009, starred Johnny Depp, who was directed by Michael Mann. You know what, Alex? I didn't see this movie uh, before we watched it together. Uh, and I like the, the idea that you had about doing a history versus movie and talking about the 1930s bank robbers. I liked the movie a lot. It was good. It was interesting. And I think Johnny Depp had a, did a well, very fine job. Yes, it was. I think Johnny Depp should stick to gangster movies because J- Donnie Brasco, Black Mass, Public, Public Enemies. I think those are his best performances. Now, uh, the movie Public Enemy was directed by Michael Mann, and he's directed Heat, he's directed Collateral, which is one of my favorite movies. So right off the bat, you have two very good gangster movies, and then you have Public Enemy. And I think that as a uh, that this movie was on par with those two films. He shot this movie perfectly. Oh my God, it's gorgeous. The, the action scenes in it were from a first person's point of view, and you were getting, you were in the action mm-hmm. the whole time. You felt like you were part of the bank robbery. It's the it's one of the best uses of handheld camera that I've ever seen because handheld camera, you know, the shaky camera is supposed to bring you right into the action. You're supposed to be a, a fifth character in a four character movie. Yeah. And it's bringing you, the shaky camera is bringing you down the stairs to the vault where the man is emptying all the money and you're waiting there and you don't know what else is going on. So you are just as worried as John Dillinger is at this point about police coming up behind him or somebody trying to sneak up on him. So the camera is, is moving back and forth, trying to see its surroundings. And you feel as if you are stuck right in the middle of this bank robbery. It was, I think, a brilliant move by man. And done very well. Yes. No. And and man does it, it uh, presents a really good uh, character as well. He he has um, uh, solid scenes where you get to know the characters. He doesn't rush you through scene uh, just through character building scenes. One of the things that I I didn't like about the movie was I thought it was too long and too slow. There were some scenes that should have ended 30, 40, 50 seconds sooner. 
uh, there were scenes that should have been cut. I, I know that they cut out a few scenes, especially some bank robbery uh, scenes, but I felt like there were moments of this movie that didn't need to be included. The, one of the top, one of the parts was when John Dillinger walked into the crime bureau office yeah. where they were they were investigating him yeah. and he walked around this office looking at all the pictures and looking at all the people that had died at this point uh, all, all all of his crew had been uh killed or arrested by this by this part of the movie but he was walking around the offices and looking on their desk and looking at the the posters that they had or the the billboards with the uh locations of all the banks that they had robbed i, I just it was a a five minute scene that Unnecessary. It was unnecessary. Yeah. It did not need to be included. And there was what sticks out in my mind is there was three scenes of him and uh, Marion Cotillard that were the same scene. Oh man! And yeah. you you looked at it the third time, and you're like, I've I've seen this twice, and all I needed it was once. Yeah, it was when. There were there were at least two scenes and maybe even a third where she was saying, "I don't know if I can be with you because you're a criminal." There was, they had the same exact conversation. I'm like, "All right, you did, you needed it once." Yeah, you, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I I liked how she stuck with them and and well, all the true. scenes yeah. with him, with her, and the jerk police officer. And you know, I liked that how it shows that she was. Uh, she was with him, strong no matter what. But I got that after the first scene between the two of them, I didn't need any more. Right. John Dillinger has been portrayed on the silver screen by 13 different people. So this it wasn't that this was an original movie. It was probably the best done and probably the most historically accurate. Ever since 1935, he's been played by different actors throughout Hollywood. That's how big of a public figure he was. He was such a cult phenomenon. People loved him. He's such an interesting character to watch, too. Right, no, and Johnny Depp did an excellent job portraying him. Everyone likes a villain. Yes. I mean, it was right in the middle of the Depression. And I think what he was doing was what everybody wanted to do. Everyone felt like they were screwed over by the banks. And here's a man with a gun going to these banks and stealing the money back. Now, of course, he didn't give the money to anybody. I mean, he kept it himself. He was not a Robin Hood figure, as I said before. But people saw him as a public hero. So let's talk about what the movie gets wrong. (laughs) Because this movie, the movie was, there were some things in this movie that they got wrong that were confusing. Like, right off the bat, there was another bank robber. His name was, uh, he was uh, uh, Pretty Boy Floyd. And in the movie, he was portrayed by Channing Tatum. And in the first 10 minutes of the film, he gets gunned down by Christian Bale's character, Martin Purvis. Enough, like, quick enough to where you didn't even know that it was Channing Tatum. Right, I think it was one of his first roles. Yeah, well, I, you, with with that, all you could see... All you could see was him getting shot, and that was it. He had no lines. There was oh, very like he had like one or two lines as he was dying in front of Christian Bale. Yeah, and uh, so uh, Christian Bale, who by the way played Melvin Purvis, who is a FBI bank robber hunter. Even though they portrayed 
Pretty Boy Floyd's death correctly, where he was running through an orchard and he was shot from a long distance with a high-powered rifle. He was killed three months after John Dillinger died. I don't know why they chose to portray that death. There were other deaths that they could have used in order to move the plot forward because they used that plot because he was also not killed by um, Melvin uh, Purvis. He was killed by a local police officer. They used that story of Pretty Boy Floyd getting shot to propel Purvis to being the head hunter of these uh, of John Dillinger's gang. But I don't know why that was necessary. I think the name, I guess, because he was still a Pretty Boy Floyd was a very famous uh, bank robber in his own right. Yeah, but, you know, it's such a cool name. Yeah. In the beginning, he got Pretty Boy Floyd, you know. It's an interesting name to have to see and to hear better than, you know. John Smith. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, congratulations. Right, exactly. Yeah. You got somebody that nobody ever heard of. And yeah. So uh, th- there was that. There was the other, another death that really I was disappointed in because I know how Babyface Nelson died in real. I knew that. I knew that before I watched the movie. And it's awesome. It's awesome. It's, it's an, an amazing awesome death. death. Absolutely. It's, it's terrible because he kills FBI agents while he's doing it. But... It, it, the, uh, in the movie, he's gunned down in a field after his car crashes uh, during a shootout at, at the Little Bohemia Cabin, which is a famous shootout in FBI and bank robber history. Which they use the real cabin in the movie. That was awesome. A lot of the sets are the real thing. Yeah, when, uh, the, the prison that John Dillinger breaks out of, that's the real prison that he broke out of. Uh, the, the movie. The where he died, where he was shot, the movie theater. Don't don't give away spoilers, Alex. Oh, <laughs> he survives <laughs> to live to a ripe old age. But uh, when they had, uh, they had Babyface Nelson being shot by Melvin Purvis from a distance, uh, and Melvin Purvis is using a Tommy gun. In reality, though, in in real life, Babyface Nelson survived that night, and. A few months after John Dillinger was shot, he was being pursued by FBI agents along the highway in Chicago, uh, uh, going towards Chicago, and he stomps the car, tells his wife that he's done with this cat and mouse bull crap, and gets out of the car with his Tommy gun and charges the FBI car, killing the FBI agents, which again, terrible, we're not condoning it, and... (laughs) And... Gets shot in the process, uh, in the process, but survives, and he uh, ends up dying a few days later of his wounds at a hideout. But I just think that that was such a more cinematic, amazing way to go, well, and I, I would love to have seen that on screen. I I understand where Michael Mann's coming from. That why because getting out of that movie. I would be talking about that part. <laughs> I would be saying Babyface Nelson was psychotic, but it was so much cooler than Dillinger's death. Yeah. That was an awesome way to go out. And Michael Mann couldn't have that. He needed the the story to be completely about Dillinger. So he changed probably one what would have been the coolest scene in the entire movie. Yeah, yeah, I know. And he didn't give it to anybody else. He didn't give it to another character that we cared a little bit more about. Like like Jason Clark plays Red 
Hamilton in this movie. And Red Hel- Hamilton is portrayed as this sympathetic character. Yeah, the friend. He was a friend. Uh, he wasn't violent, even though in real life he was very violent and m- murdered more people than John Dillinger did. But in the movie, he was portrayed as this more relatable character. And when he died, you felt bad. You could have used him in that role of Babyface Nelson's death, even though it's not accurate. But if you're gonna, if you're gonna get rid of accuracy, you might as well, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Other and accurate part, and this is this is one of my favorite movie facts that I found out. One of John Dillinger's most infamous moments in history is that he broke out of a holding cell using a fake gun. In the movie, he fools three police officers with this fake gun, and he gets to the gun locker, and he pulls out some real guns. And one of the men said, that, that gun wasn't real, was it? As, he, you know, John, uh, as Dillinger pointed a real gun at him. In reality, he holds up 17 police officers. That is unbelievable. I could see why they changed the number from 17 to 3, because 17... It, that's ridiculous. Like, oh it, like 17 people looked at him and thought that that was a real gun. I think it was, that's, that's oh, crazy. Come on, that's not real. <laughs> right, exactly. So if we saw that on screen, we would not have bought that. Mark Twain said the, the only difference between reality and fiction is that fiction has to be plausible. And that is not plausible. No, not in the slightest. No. The movie does have a lot of accuracies. Right. And my favorite is the courtroom scenes with their criminal lawyer, Louis Paquette. He's uh, <laughs> he's trying to get John Dillinger to stay in the prison that he is instead of getting switched over to a maximum security prison. He attacks the female warden's credibility and, oh, you can't hold him, you can't do that. So they take the courtroom transcripts and almost say it word for word as he did. And it worked. Yeah, and uh, another thing about Louis Paquette is that he never went to college. He just took the bar exam until he passed. It took him four tries and immediately became a mob lawyer. <laughs> That's a... <laughs> he defended every... He defended Al Capone. Uh, he defended um, Lucky Luciano. All the... Uh, uh, Lan- uh, Lansky, I think, was another, was another one of his clients. No, I think that he... Got into the business specifically to be a a, a criminal lawyer, like a, for criminals. He yeah. saw where the money was. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, one of the other accuracies that I really appreciated was how they portrayed the relationship between John Dillinger and Billy Frechette, uh, who is played by Marion Cotillard, and they had an an accurate depiction for how they had their relationship. Uh, you could tell that the two of them cared for each other deeply. The way that she was arrested was accurately portrayed on film where John Dillinger dropped her off at, at a dry cleaning place and she got arrested while she walked inside. And John Dillinger s- stood on the side of the street watching her get arrested. And uh, he had actually gone with a friend and the friend stopped him from going because he knew that John Dillinger would have gotten killed. And the way that he stopped him was saying, you might get Billy killed too. They're... Uh bank robberies that they did was a minute 40 flat. They had it timed out. And in the movie, they did exactly w- how Dillinger would have robbed the bank. Well, it's not just that. They they had their proper escape routes. They filmed 
uh, if they could, they filmed at the banks that they actually robbed, so they had an accurate uh, layout of the of the bank. They were on site as much as physically possible. If the building, some of the buildings had been ripped down, but for the most part, they filmed wherever they were robbing those banks. One of the things that I really liked about that, now that you mentioned the bank robberies, is uh, I really appreciated that they didn't do a bank robbing montage. A lot of these crime movies will get away with these bank robbing scenes by just showing you only a few second clip over some music and montaging out his career this they they accurately show the bank robberies that he committed and how he was able to execute them i thought that was a brilliant move and made the move now that was one of the other reasons why the movie was so long but i i appreciated that at least still you got to see how dillinger was in real life when it came to such a large aspect of what he was one of the other accuracies, uh, going back to the courtroom scenes, whenever J. Edger, J. Edgar Hoover was on scene, uh, was on the screen, uh, played by Billy Crudup, uh, they had a a scene where he was in front of a, a uh, senator uh, during a sen- uh, congressional hearing. That was taken tra- uh, word for word from the transcript. So they, it seems that as soon, if Michael Mann could get an accurate uh, depiction of what happened, he would do it. The, um, his, uh, Dillinger's death was accurate down to the minute, down to the movie he saw and how he was turned in and the, uh, the tactics that Purvis used to get her to turn him in by saying he was going to deport this woman, and spoiler alert, he deported her a month later anyway. <laughs> well, he was... It wasn't in his control. But yes, uh, and uh, the and the way that he was shot as well, just walking down the street and these FBI agents running all around him with guns, civilians everywhere yeah, surrounding him. They had no care about, about hurting other people at that point. They just wanted... They, they wanted John Dillinger dead, and they shot him dead right there on the street. He didn't, he, they say that they saw, they thought he had a gun, but no, they knew he didn't, you know? Yeah. Well, everyone, that's the show this week. Thanks for joining us and, uh, join us next week. If you have any questions or suggestions, you could write me at how not a movie at yahoo.com or you could, uh, tweet at me, uh, at how not a movie one, the number one. And we love to hear from you guys. So uh, like and subscribe. Uh, write your reviews if you would like. Uh, it really helps the podcast. So, guys, have a good week. Alex, say goodbye. Uh, goodbye, guys, everyone. Uh, do write in. It really does help to get some feedback. I, I like to know what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> Alex, you're doing everything right. <laughs> right. Right.